Hey everybody, Mark here. Thanks so much for tuning in. And this weekend was a really cool weekend because each one of our campuses had live teaching from one of their staff members. So we're going to be releasing those throughout the week and we'd really love to encourage you to check those out. We're going to start with our Menlo Park campus. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? We're good. Glad to hear it, and welcome to everybody watching online. We're so glad you are a part of our extended Menlo family. And before we get into today's message, let me just start out with a word of prayer. Father, you are good. And uh, Lord, as we just sang, we pray that you would tune our hearts, tune our ears, tune our minds to uh, what you want to speak to us today. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. So last week, we wrapped up a series called Seasons. And last week's sermon was about winter, and I wanted a chance to get in on the fun of winter for just a moment here, because uh, Phil talked about that. And I grew up just outside of Chicago. So I understand winters too, because uh, they lasted about 14 months of the year. Uh, and my dad would always say there's two seasons in, uh, in Chicago. There's winter, and then there's road construction. Because uh, when it's not frozen, they're trying to rebuild all the roads that cracked. Uh, so it's always one or the other. Uh, but I didn't know. I just didn't know there was another way to live till I moved to Pasadena in my 20s for grad school. And I thought, oh, my eyes had just been opened to this wonderful world. And one thing I love about coastal California is that we get snow on demand, right? When we want snow, we go to... We go to Tahoe along with 100,000 of your best friends on any given day. Um, and uh, it's a great to be able to do that. And some days, uh, experiencing the mountains can look uh, something like this. Um, and uh, there's some shots here of, uh, of me on a chair. Okay, there we go. There's some shots. This is me and my son, Evan. We went skiing this winter. This was a Wednesday. It was about 15 degrees. There was a winter storm warning in effect, so everybody else was smart enough not to go up to the mountain. We just thought, this is our chance, and, uh, and it was glorious. There's almost nobody else there. The whole day, we would ski, we'd get on the lift, we'd go back up. There were no lines, there was no nothing. It's how you imagine like a day in the mountains should be all to ourselves, and the snow started coming down hard by the end of the day. It was just great. But other times, other times, snow looks like this. Not so glorious, not so breathtaking. This was a few winters ago. Uh, we were heading up a uh, two-lane road, and it had so iced over that nobody could move. Every car that tried to pass, turn around, was just sliding into other cars and sliding into snow banks. And it was one of the few times I was really glad that we were driving like a 14-year-old minivan uh, that already had dents in it. So we're like, hey, we don't care. Let's try. <laughs> um, and there were no bathrooms. It was just bad experience overall. Now, here's the thing. Spiritually, we want our lives to look like that first picture. We imagine that we're always going to be on this beautiful mountaintop, and it's glorious, and it's life-giving, and it's spectacular, and we're close to God, and, and yes, it can be. But other times, our, our spiritual journey feels a lot like that second image, where we're just kind of stuck. 
We, we know there's something more. We know there must be this beautiful horizon just on the other side. We believe there must be more to life with God than what we're experiencing in any given moment, yet we don't know how to move. We don't know how to change. We feel like we can't. And so maybe we start thinking, I'll just pray more, or I'll, I'll do some more church activities, but it just feels like we're spinning the tires, and the real issue is the longer that lasts, the more we start to think that that is just the norm. That's just how life with God is. So we settle, and we stagnate. And maybe that's you today. Sometimes it's me. So the question we're going to explore today is, what does it look like to live into and experience more of a life with God that pervades and empowers our everyday moments, that is with us wherever we are, whatever season we are in? And is it even possible? I mean, really, is it even possible to live a life with God that informs our thoughts, our emotions, our work, our play, our decisions, our relationships in ways that uh, Eugene Peterson called the unforced rhythms of grace. What if? What if more of that kind of life could be possible? Well, this is what the writers of the Bible called a holy life. A holy life. Now, holy... If you're like me, it conjures up all kinds of images and feelings, some of them good and helpful, some of them kind of negative or maybe just strange, and I'm going to unpack some of that uh, today. But at its core, a holy life is a whole life. A holy life is a whole life. It's life the way that God intended it for us to live, the way he intended us to be all of the time. Now, we don't fully experience that, this side of eternity, but we can begin to live into that reality of God in us and God working in us, and we can begin to experience that today. And a holy life, what it really means, it's worth your whole life. A holy life is worth your whole life because it is a whole life. As some of you have read the works of Henry Cloud, a psychologist, author, wrote some really great books around boundaries, boundaries in relationships, boundaries in parenting. If you haven't read them, I highly encourage you to do that. He also wrote a book called The One Life Solution. And it was written for people in the workplace feeling stressed out, burned out, fragmented, not like anybody here. And he writes about how in that situation, we tend to compartmentalize. We tend to kind of break up our life into, into little chunks. We have our home life and our work life and our social life and our intellectual educational life and so on, and we're constantly trying to spin all these plates. And it feels like there's always one more plate to pick up and try to spin, and it feels something like this. Doesn't he just look relaxed and at peace and you know, really happy. This is actually a clip I found from the Ed Sullivan show in the 1950s. And it just feels like, I get it. Like, this is exhausting. Like, you can keep it up for a few minutes on a TV show. Try living your life that way. And yet we do. Henry Cloud described it this way. He writes, we feel fragmented, out of control, and begin to lose ourselves over time. 
We lose our center, our feeling of being whole and integrated as more and more forces and more and more people pull at different parts of us. Before long, we no longer feel in control of our lives and yet do not know how to get them back. Feel familiar? (laughs) A fragmented life like that is frazzling. It's fatiguing. Trying to continuously juggle the plates and the demands, it just doesn't work, at least for long. At some point, something gives, something falls, something starts to break. And where the world will try to pull us in a thousand different directions and make us feel more strung out and and frazzled, Jesus draws us to the center. Jesus draws us to the center. He draws us to himself. He draws us to more of a whole and integrated life, a holy life. That's the hope that we have in Christ. Peter writes this, and uh, we'll be walking through parts of uh, 1 Peter 1. So if you want to pull out a Bible or on your phone, uh, or you can just read the the words on the screen. Uh, From 1 Peter 1, starting with verse 13, he writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, before we go any further... Let me just ask you, in your mind, what comes to mind when you think of the word holy? Now, my first reaction might be, is that even possible? And if it is, would I actually want that? And I get with God, right? God, holy, glorious, perfect, that's the Lord, holy, okay, good. But people... I mean, really, what do you think of, honestly, when you think of a holy person? Now, maybe it's uh, someone who is especially good, devout, super religious person who has a two-hour prayer time starting at 4 a.m. every day. I start mine at 3 a.m., but uh, no, not really, I, and only in my dreams. Someone who goes to Bible study like every night, who memorized the whole Bible in Greek and in Hebrew, backwards and forwards, like maybe that's a holy person, kind of a top, you know, one fraction of a percent Christian. Or maybe it's a a classical image, kind of like this. Because holy people wear robes and carry giant Bibles and have golden halos and look grumpy. I mean, really, I don't, I, I've never seen anyone with a golden glowing halo. And my guess is during their lifetimes, no one saw any of the apostles with a glowing golden halo, and they are consistently described, those first Christians in the Bible, as being unreasonably joyful, not as grumpy. Or maybe, maybe the word that comes to mind when you think of holy is, is holier than thou. Somebody who's self-righteous, condescending, judgmental, hypocritical, more concerned about other people's unholiness than who they are. You might think a holy person is someone who doesn't have any fun or 
or that it's trying hard to follow an ever-growing list of do's and don'ts. And if that's holy, who wants that? But none of that is what the Bible means. When it says, be holy as I am holy, this is what holy means. It's most fundamental definition in scripture. Holy means set apart. It means set apart, like God is set apart in creation. Holy means we, we set aside the, the fine china for special guests. We set aside the really good bottle of wine, not the two-buck chuck, but the really good stuff that you actually have to go to the vineyard to buy their you know, reserve. We save that for the most special occasions. And if we're holy, that means you and I are set apart. Set apart from the incessant demands of the world around us and set apart for a life with God. To be holy means to be brought from a broken and fragmented life into a deep and loving and lasting integrated life in a connection with God and with other people. That's really what holiness is, being set apart by God for God. Now, our our oldest daughter, Holly, Uh, got engaged on Memorial Day weekend uh, in the the Florida Keys, no less. And uh, we got to see see some of these pictures. And uh, we feel actually really good about it. I mean, I feel old, but um, we feel really good. They've been dating five years since college. and, And, you know, we love him, love the family. But in becoming engaged, these two young people are being set apart. They're being set apart for one another. They're being set apart to begin a new way of life together, and that's why the Bible often uses marriage as an analogy for how God's people are set apart from all the nations around them for a loving and life-giving purpose and relationship with God. But in the Old Testament, only certain places and very special people were considered holy. The temple was holy, where people would gather to worship. The Ark of the Covenant was holy. We saw like the replay of Raiders of the Lost Ark last week. It was showing at the the theater and like you open the Ark and like scary. Uh, The Ark was holy. Priests were holy when they did all of the required uh, sacrifices and rituals of cleansing that would allow them enter into the holy places. But with Jesus, with Jesus, all of that changed. All of that changed. Those outward symbols of holiness were replaced with an inward reality that God was bringing about. Suddenly, anywhere Jesus showed up became holy ground because God was walking on it. And that means when we are in Christ and Christ is in us and his Holy Spirit lives in us, we become holy. Just sit with that for a moment. Really? We become, by God's power, set apart from captivity, redeemed from slavery, freed from addiction, delivered from bondage to sin and death, rescued from our compulsive need for power and possessions and prestige. We're no longer conformed to the pattern of this world. 
As Peter writes, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Instead, 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 we become set apart. We're chosen. We're set apart for something unique and life-giving and soul-satisfying. We become a temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell. That's what Scripture says. This should blow our minds a little bit. We become God's workmanship. We become God's people set apart for this relationship and purpose with God himself. In other words, being holy, it's not about trying to spin all the plates more perfectly. Where frankly, the busier we spin, the more stuck and exhausted we feel. This is about setting all the plates down. God says, if you want holiness, stop trying to spin it all perfectly because you can't set all those plates down. Let God fill them up with something good. See, this is an invitation to move from a frazzled life to a whole life in Christ. That's what holiness is about. And I need that. I need that. And maybe you do too. Now, you might think, well, Mark, This is probably easier for you because you're a holy pastor working in a church and doing God work all the time. Let me tell you, it's not. I have to confess, I am a master plate spinner. I am the king of multitaskers. And I can't tell you how many times my teenage son will be trying to tell me something about his life and about his day. And I'm sitting here like, because there's some email I need to respond to, something I'm thinking about that I got to make sure I capture, because if I don't, the plates are going to start to fall out. If the plates start to spall, the more are going to break. And, and my son will sometimes catch me, and I'll say, Dad, what did I just say? I'm thinking, okay, who's the parent now? <laughs> uh, You know, it's like my son's voice, but Jesus is tapping me on the shoulder saying, Mark, if you become a little less hectic, I'd love to help you be a little more whole. I I want that. I need that. Less distracted, more present. I think we all do because a holy life, it's a whole life and a holy life. It's worth your whole life in pursuit of. So how do we get there? If a holy life is something that is actually good, that is life-giving and not life-draining, how do we move toward that kind of a life? I mean, what does that look like? Because here's another confession. Sometimes I get stuck spiritually and personally because I want all the benefits that Jesus promises, but I don't really want to change. I get comfortable. I want to do what I want, when I want, the way I want it, and I want God to bless me in it, and then I wonder, why aren't I growing spiritually? But it's like saying, I I want Jesus the Savior. I'm not sure I want Jesus the Lord. But it's a package deal. Jesus is Savior, and he's Lord. And when the Bible says... That God's will is good and acceptable and perfect in Romans 12. It's really true. It's really true. It is good. It's something I should desire, but I can be so stubborn. Ask my family. 
My will likes to get its own way. God, I've got this. I have a plan that's good enough. I know what I'm doing here, Jesus. Just give me a big can of spiritual Red Bull and I'll chug it and I can keep spinning all the plates and I'll be fine. Have you ever had a car really stuck in the snow? If you've ever experienced that, there is a point where no amount of gunning the engine No amount of rocking back and forth between reverse and drive is going to help. In fact, the more you step on the gas, the deeper of a rut you create. See, when you're really stuck, you need help, kind of like this car here. (laughs) Yeah, don't, don't ask. See, revving your engine won't get you out. No amount of stubbornness or willpower or horsepower is enough. We need a a tow. We need a a crane, an excavator. We need power from outside of ourselves to get back on the road again. I'll tell you, every recovering addict knows this really well. You can't get unstuck on your own. And simply trying harder for you and me, trying harder to live a holy life, it's just spinning our wheels. It it ends up in one of two directions. It either leads to the shame of failure because we keep failing at it, or it leads to the self-righteousness of a Pharisee. Because holiness without God, it's not possible. We can't get there from here on our own. We can't get from brokenness to wholeness on our own. We can't get unstuck and back on the road on our own. We can't break free from that frazzled, frenetic life on our own. But here's the good news. We don't have to. We don't have to. Because we power up by powering down. We get unstuck by leaning into a power that doesn't come from us. The path to wholeness comes when we give up our illusion of power that I so want to cling to and exchange it for God's truly transforming power in our lives. This is what Peter writes in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. See, if God says, be holy because I am holy, there must be a way. Not a way that's a human way, not a way by our own efforts, but God provided a way. It was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, i.e., holy, set apart for the redemption of the world. The Holy One gave his life so we could experience whole life. 
The Holy One gave his life so we, you, and I could experience whole life. And not just in eternity, but we can begin to experience a taste of that today. Jesus, who did live a holy life, gave his life away so we could be whole. And this wasn't an afterthought. This wasn't God's plan B when, oops, things didn't turn out the way I thought. Let me come up with something else. This was God's plan that Peter says, from the creation of the world to take our broken and stuck and sick and sinful lives and make us whole again through his blood on the cross. In Jesus, God's holiness invaded a world that was hopelessly separated from God and through Christ, God ransomed it back. And so Peter, he says in chapter two, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, in other words, set apart, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Do you believe that? <laughs> Me? Chosen? Royal? Holy? God, you, you got the wrong person. Now, when I was just out of college, a pastor at my home church said to me, Mark, I really think you should consider going into the ministry. And I laughed. I mean, literally, I laughed. No way. That is not part of my plan. That is not my life direction. And I am no holy person. Kind of like Paul when he said, I'm the chief among sinners. Or the prophet Isaiah when he said, woe is me, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. And God says, I know. And maybe you feel that way too, me. Like God must not know me if he says I can be a holy person, but he says, I know you actually a lot better than you know yourself. And, and I've got this. I have a way to take care of this. You may be broken now, but I can make you whole. And I've set you apart to be a part of my family and to be a part of my team. Because the most powerful change that can happen in a human life is when we stop relying finally on our own strength and put our trust in God's power to redeem and heal and save and make whole. We power up by powering down. Now finally, uh, Peter goes on to write this in verse 22. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have, no, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, a quick note on this verse, because if you're listening here, it's like, wait a minute, uh, now that you have purified yourself, I thought we just talked about how we can't do that ourselves, and now he's talking about purifying yourself, what's going on. Uh, Peter is not talking about a person's initial salvation. Scripture's very clear that we cannot make ourselves right before God. We can't earn God's mercy. God's grace can only be freely given and freely received. That's why it's grace. But this passage is saying we have a role to play. 
We have a role to play in God's ongoing work in us. Having received new life in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, we now get to participate in how God continues to shape us and refine us. Peter goes on to write, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. A holy life is an enduring life. You know, so many of the plates we spin, they ultimately don't last. So many of the things that that we spend our time and energy and money and lives pursuing that we thought would bring us lasting satisfaction and joy and happiness and purpose just end up leaving us lost and lonely and exhausted and stuck. Like once I get that home or that car, or that job, or that degree, or that relationship, and once I just get that much in my bank account, or get to go on that cool vacation to that amazing tropical island, then. Now, I have to admit, I I like cars. Uh, I just, I love good cars, and I used to dream as a kid about having this sports car collection when I grew up. And no kidding, I had, there were three in my, my plan here. There was the, the silver Mercedes sedan that was going to be the family car. It was kind of before SUVs, so it was going to be a sedan. It was before electric cars. Anyway, I had the silver Mercedes sedan for the, the family car. I had the black Porsche 911 Carrera. That was going to be my commute to work car. And, and then I had the yellow Ferrari for the weekends. Uh, just to kind of tootle around in. And that was my plan of like how it was going to be. And finally, the day came when I had all three cars. And I would occasionally pull them off the shelf and have little races on the floor of my room. (laughs) And then those cars went from my bedroom shelf to my dorm shelf in college. And there they were. And they might still be in a box in the closet somewhere, very possibly, I think. You see, especially in the Bay Area, It's so easy to get caught up in all the plates spinning, spinning our wheels, going after all those things we think will make us successful and finally satisfied and finally make us whole, but we just end up more fragmented and a fragmented life eventually falls apart. The plates always drop, but a holy life. A life the way God really intends it. It is an enduring life. And a holy life is worth your, holy, your whole life. I've heard it said that the only thing you get to bring with you into eternity is the person that you become. And that always challenges me. Because what kind of person am I becoming? Am I becoming more of a whole and holy person or am I becoming a fragmented and frazzled person? And some days I'm not too sure by the time I get to the end of the day. Am I more compartmentalized or more complete? Because ultimately we're moving one direction or we're moving the other. We can't be moving both ways at the same time. And then 
how do I know? Well, Peter told us the most important mark of a holy life, it's not having a halo or wearing a robe and sandals or carrying a big Bible or anything like that or having a long list of do's and don'ts that you somehow manage perfectly. The most important mark of a holy life is this. He writes, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Jesus, the holiest person who ever lived, who ever walked this planet, he he was the most loving person that ever walked this planet too. And he didn't keep himself from the world because he was holy and everybody else wasn't. He went into the world. Jesus, the holiest person, loved the world. He reached out to the sick, the blind, the disabled, the lonely, the lepers, the widows, the poor, the children, the partiers, the prostitutes, the people nobody else loved. The tax collector the occupying Roman army officer, the sinners, me and you. Jesus, the holiest person, turns out to be the most loving person of all who came to us so that we could be whole. And when I asked earlier what came to mind when you thought of the word holy, I'm not sure the most common answer would have been loving. But a holy life is a loving life. And our holy and loving God invites you and me into a holy and loving life that endures forever. So what might that look like? What might that look like for you this week? Now, you might not be able to change all of the the demands that life brings. You may feel like you have way too many plates spinning right now, and maybe you do. You might feel like your life is too much of a mess, and maybe it is. But this is a guilt-free zone right here. Don't beat yourself up over it. If you find yourself that way, don't beat yourself up over it. Just acknowledge it and ask God to begin to help shape your scattered life into a sacred life, your hectic life into more of a holy life. And maybe God's invitation to us this week is to a life that looks a little bit less like this and a little bit more like this. The world will always try to pull us in a thousand different directions. Jesus wants to draw us to the center, to fill us, to renew us, to take our spinning plates and fill them with good things and to make us whole. So here is the simple tip for this week. This is the the one thing to take with you here. Set a reminder on your calendar every day this week. If you use your phone, your desktop, an old piece of paper, a post-it note stuck on the refrigerator, whatever it is, if there's any way to remind yourself a few times a day, maybe once in the morning, lunch, end of the workday, maybe before you go to bed, and just put in a little five-minute event. I've started doing that this week, and it's actually been really helpful when this notification comes up, and it's not an email or a text or a Teams message or something that's telling me something I have to, else I have to juggle. And then just do three things. 
First, just pause. Just take your foot off the gas. Just picture all those spinning plates and just set them down for a moment. In fact, just do that right now. Just take a breath. And just, Lord, all those spinning plates, just take a breath and, and just stop. And then the second thing is this. Remember that you are a loved and holy child of God set apart for good works in Christ. Maybe you don't feel like you could be. Maybe you don't feel anything like that in the moment. But if God says that you are my beloved and holy child, then it must be true. So believe that. Sit in that. Pause. Stop. Live into that reality that you are a loved and holy child of God. And then at the end of those few minutes, simply make this prayer, Lord, not my will. Not my will that grasps after all of the things that I I think I want to need and have to control and do. But let your good and holy will be done in my life today. And then just see what God does. Because when you are in Christ and God's Holy Spirit lives in you, then not only are you being made holy, but any moment can be a holy moment. Any place can be a holy place. Anywhere you are, anywhere you go, any conversation, any meeting, that can be holy ground because Christ is in you and he is holy. And when we live that way, just a little bit at a time, your whole life as a holy child of God might just be what God uses to draw someone else into a deeper wholeness this week. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you can do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. Now, when we are stuck, when we are trapped in our own devices, God, you set us free, and you set us apart, and you forgive us, and you renew us, and you restore us, and God, we can't imagine what it's like to be fully in that state, and yet, God, you are doing that work in us. You are setting us apart for a holy life that is marked by love. And so, God, all the plates that everybody hearing my voice right now, that we are all trying to spin all the time, and God, we can't make things just go away. But help us to trust in you. Help us to be more of a whole and holy person in the midst of the things that we do. That we might be vessels of your grace and love and healing in this broken and fragmented world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.